Okay, international, I think, um, well, firstly, good morning to those who came at 10 o'clock. Good morning to those who came at 9 o'clock. I'm not going to look in any direction, but um, there are at least two people who are here at 9 o'clock. So, good morning to you. I think the International Day is just fantastic. And um, we are so blessed to be a company of international people. When we were in Orpington, <clears throat> we had uh, uh, two Brazilian missionaries who were called to come to the UK. Now, 200 years ago, missionaries went from the UK to, uh, to Brazil. Uh, and 20 years ago, Brazilians were sending missionaries to the UK. And the Evening Standard got hold of it and came and attended a service. And we had, there was a two-page spread on the Evening Standard about Brazilian missionaries coming to the, to coming to the UK. And uh, I did a bit of, I've done a mental head count, and I reckon there are, uh, there are 10, certainly 10 nationalities in this room, other than British. And uh, Paul McCormack isn't here, Scotland doesn't count. Um, <laughs> uh, he's not. There are at least 10 nationalities this morning. And um, next Sunday there'll be more. In, uh, half to, in, in May, Lindsay and I went to Lake District, we went to an Anglican church, because we know some people there. And there were probably a few less people than there are this morning. They were 100% white, probably 100% British, I don't know, I didn't ask them all. But just to say, we are so blessed, if you are not from the UK, to have you with us. And next Sunday is going to be great. Now, I'm preaching this morning. I don't, um, I don't practice when I do it, so this is going to be between about six minutes and two and a half hours. <laughs> okay, the f- right. And there's our subject. Uh, in terms of uh, my, my future perspective, I tend to think about two weeks ahead. I kind of reckon that if something's going to happen more than two weeks ahead, I can sort it in the next two weeks. Some people are much more organised than that um, and are pl- planning way, way ahead. Many people live on a day-to-day existence, don't they, sadly? Uh, and they live one day uh, ahead. But there are many people who are obsessed with the future. Um, newspapers have horoscopes, and there may be those amongst us who re- avidly read their horoscope. Uh, there will be pubs within a mile from here which will be advertising tarot card evenings or psychic evenings. You can study futurology at, uh, at postgrad level, bless you. And uh, for, what, for those of you who are interested, futurology is the study of postulating possible probable and preferable futures, and the worldviews and myths that underline them. Note, it's myths that underline them, not truths that underline them. And frankly, there are many people in our, in our, in our country, in, 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 the, in the West, who believe that the world will end when uh, a man, sadly it's a man in Moscow, uh, Washington, or Pyongyang, uh, just loses it and initiates a world war and everything is obliterated. Do we as followers of Jesus, do we as disciples have a view on that? Does the Bible have a view on that? There are people who are uh, storing up their uh, embryos, aren't they? The freezing embryos so they can participate in whatever happens in the future. People are actually obsessed with the future. So do we have a view on it? And more importantly, does the Bible have a view on it? So our subject is Disciples know that Jesus will return. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, because I can make points, but what I want to do is make points that are supported by scripture. 
Okay, so we're, we are going with what the Bible says about the future. Acts 1, 7 to 11. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up from their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, um, I'm sure when, uh, when uh, our kids were very small and I went away uh, with work, I'm sure Lindsay would have, would have waved goodbye and Lindsay would have said to them, oh, he, won't, he won't be long. You know, he, don't have to worry, he, he won't be away too long, knowing full well that I might have been away a, a fair while. But just trying to comfort them and be nice. So is this two angels just being nice to the, the bunch of guys who were standing there saying, don't worry, it'll all end up happily, just being nice? Where else in Scripture does that ever appear? N nowhere. Nowhere in Scripture <clears throat> is there kind of nice, um, almost patronizing um, content. No, this is truth. These angels were there for, they were there for a purpose. Um, and they were there to say, this Jesus who returned, will return, he returned to heaven, will return to earth as you saw him go. So Jesus will return. And we're going to look at four things. Which one, which one is it? Hmm? Right, four questions. And uh, my um, artistic advisor says um, there needs to be some colour in this. <laughs> four questions. What do we know about Jesus' return? When will it be? Should we be fearful? And are there any, any implications for me? This is a one-point talk. Jesus will return. Okay? You can stop there and fix it and all go home. But I've got to talk for half an hour. So I will, I, will, I will elaborate a little. I've been a Christian for 40 years, and to my knowledge, I've never heard a talk on this subject, ever. But we sing about it. Our first two songs this morning were about the return of Jesus. We will meet him in the air. Every knee will bow. The trumpet will sound. They are all references to the return of Jesus. And maybe we just sang it, and it kind of washed washed over us. I think the Bible app is great. I'm not great, great with my phone, but I've got the Bible app on my phone. And there are 29, um, what do you call, reading plans on marriage. There's five days for a good marriage, seven days for a great marriage. <laughs> I don't know what you get for 31 days. There are none on the return on Jesus, or none that I could found, find. And I tried every kind of permutation of words. None at all. And there are complications, aren't there? Revelation is full of um, um, th things that are difficult to understand. And what I'm going to try and do is, uh, when we were Orpington, Anthony Henson said he used to preach the, ma the, the main and the plain things of Scripture. And I'm going to try and communicate the main and the plain things of Jesus' return. And just to say, this is orthodox. Um, the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
When we went to the Anglican Church in May, uh, we read, as every Anglican does every week, in the Creed, we believe that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That is standard Anglican theology. When we take communion, what's the very last word in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11? It's until he comes. This is standard stuff. You know, this is um, mainstream theology. What about the Old Testament? Before we come to the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy identifies 737 prophecies in Scripture, of which 594 were fulfilled on Jesus' first coming. Astonishing number. But when you think about it, there was a lot to be astonished about. The nature of his birth, a virgin birth, his lineage, where he was born. He was born in a town that his parents had never been to. And um, prophecies about his death as well. Astonishingly accurate. The balance of the prophecies are, are largely um, around Jesus' second coming. Now, Adam, a few weeks ago, talked about our mindset and have it being material. We are we have two <clears throat> key sort of thought processes, materialism and rationalism. Okay? And I really got identified with that um, as, as, a, as a sort of Western European, that we are in our thinking very material and rational. Now, I think if there were 594 prophecies fulfilled in the first coming, and Scripture says there are another 100 plus in the second coming, rationality to me would say we better take those seriously. That would be entirely rational. But what I think is the case is that materialism trumps rationalism. So because we can't see it and touch it and feel it, actually we say, no, that's probably, you know, that's probably not quite right. So we need to get our mindsets um, around the fact this could be true, that actually Jesus could return. In fact, Jesus is going to return. So what do we know about Jesus' return? Eight points. And I can't see the clock up. The clock stopped up there. So, um, right, here we go. Jesus talked about it. So Jesus was not silent about his return. In fact, he said quite a lot about his return. And these are just two points. This was Matthew 16, was when Jesus was talking, to, saying to his disciples that I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified. He said, for the Son of Man, which is himself, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And he will reward each person according to what they've done. Matthew 26, Jesus is uh, being cross-examined by the high priests. And they ask him, uh, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. At which point, he could have opted out. That was the point where Jesus, if he had wanted to, could have backtracked. But what did he say? You've said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, <clears throat> from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was completely up front that he would return. And the text goes on to say they threw their arms up in horror and said he has blasphemed. He must die. Steve's now changing the clock. Jesus will return on the clouds with a multiple multitude of angels. From Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Just mention glory. Thirdly, he will come in glory. This is from one, uh, 2 Thessalonians. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you 
and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. There's a sort of, there are films, I'm, not, I'm not into films, I've not seen any, but where there is a world war and there are like 11 people left on a Pacific island. Jesus is not going to return in blazing glory to 11 people on a Pacific island. That is just not what scripture says. This is returning to a multitude of people. It will be loud. I like loud. Some people don't like loud, but I like loud, so apologies for those who don't. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So we sing about trumpets, don't we? Here's a reference to the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And we sing about eternity, don't we? Here's a scriptural reference to eternity. <clears throat> Everyone who is alive will see him. This is Revelation chapter 1. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. It will be sudden, unexpected, but unmistakable. When Jesus ascended in Acts 1, how many people were there? Maybe 20, possibly. Maybe not even that. There were just a minimal, a handful of people who saw Jesus' ascension. Jesus' return will be witnessed by a vast number of people. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When you hear lightning, you, you, know, you automatically go, you, you jump, don't you? When you hear lightning and it's close, you jump because you're not expecting it. As was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the, of the Son of Man. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. It will be sudden, unexpected, and unmistakable. <clears throat> Jesus will return with a purpose. This is from 2 Timothy. And this is why I'm just putting all the scriptures on, just to support the statement with scripture. Thank you, Steve, for the clock. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead... And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. It then goes on. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And the ending up of that will be a new heaven and a new earth. Hence the scriptures from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first, sorry, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That sounds extremely good, doesn't it? That sounds just amazing. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because we all know what those things are like. Lastly, we're to be eager about his coming. This is Paul talking in 1 Corinthians 1. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. wonder what you're eager about. 
People, I should think, Mark and Sharmini were eager about their wedding as it approached. People are eager about maybe a new job, moving home, um, a baby being born. People eagerly look forward to, these, to such things. In um, March, I surprised Lindsay on her birthday with something, and it involved her being in a particular place, and I had to get her there, and I was tracking her on my phone. And I went to work, kind of just really, I had things to do, really excited about, about it, and tracking where she was and making sure that she got there. I was eager about that. We are eager about good things, aren't we? We are not eager about bad things. We are to be eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. So there's eight points there. That, um, things that we know about Jesus' return. Change of colour. When will... Oh, barely a change of colour, isn't it? It's changed on here. It's all yellow on here. When will Jesus return? Um, we don't know, but it will be sudden. Now, when uh, our daughter Rebecca got married, I was, I was eagerly looking forward to the wedding. I was eagerly looking forward to that moment... Uh, those five minutes when everyone else has gone and it's just her and I waiting to get into a car and go to the wedding. And I was going to impart five minutes of wisdom to her <laughs> or maybe three minutes of wisdom to her. And then she said, I'm not packed yet. So the, the five minutes came and went. And she was so not packed that after they got married, the first thing they did was come back to her house, our house to finish packing. When... Uh, Andrew does exams, I text him before he does exams, and I remind him of some basic principles about doing exams, just important things before he does them. We communicate important messages before important events, okay? Just think we read, about, we read Acts 1. So what did Jesus say immediately before he was ascended? Wait for the Holy Spirit, didn't he? Um, just prior to that, the Great Commission... Uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But you go back to uh, Matthew 26 is when Jesus is arrested. That follows two days after Matthew 24 and 25. There's a two-day gap. Matthew 24 and 25 are all Jesus' teaching about his return. So was it important to Jesus? Did he, you know, when he communicated it, it was clearly he was, in, he was communicating something of great importance. There is a hint here. So for the rest of the, what I'm going to say, really picks up on um, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. This is Jesus speaking. <clears throat> but about that day or hour, no one knows. Right, is that clear? About that day or hour, no one knows. Is there any ambiguity there? You can answer if you wish. Is there any ambiguity there? No, thank you. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only God the Father knows when, the son, when Jesus will return. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen. Is that not a picture of our society? People were eating, drinking, giving in marriage, going to football, you know, going to school, doing stuff. And they knew nothing, knowing nothing, about what is going to happen. In that case, until the flood took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken 
the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And there's just a verse from 1 Thessalonians there. There's a, people are aware of a reference to a thief. Jesus will come like a thief in, in the night. Well, here it is. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, we have been burgled at night um, when, we lived, when we lived in Orpington. It wasn't the greatest experience we've had, I have to say. Um, but we didn't go to bed that night thinking, I wonder if we can be burgled this evening or any other night before that. It just happened. And when it happens and you hear a noise um, that shouldn't, you shouldn't be hearing, uh, you are startled, you just don't know what's going on. You know, but we were completely unaware that this was likely to happen. But it did happen. And when Jesus returns, he's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, in terms of dates, this is quite categorical, quite specific. We do not know when Jesus will return. One of the features of cults sometimes is that they predict when Jesus will return. So both Jehovah's Witnesses and the, and more, the Mormon church have given predictions as to when Jesus will return. They both started with an 18, so they have long passed. Um, but if, if we ever hear Dave Holden start talking about Jesus is going to return on this particular day, then we should be wary very, 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 very quickly. Because he, he, won't, he won't do that. Okay. But I want, I want to make that quite specific. We do not know when Jesus will return. But in the first section of Matthew uh, 24, Jesus talks about signs. And in verse 8 states that um, all these are the beginning of, uh, beginning of birth pains. Actually, going back to when we were burgled, Rebecca was very, very upset because they took two old laptops, which she was delighted that... Um, that they'd gone, uh, only they were found. They arrested the guy, uh, or arrested someone a couple of weeks later, didn't they? And they found these laptops in his bedroom. Uh, and Rebecca was very worried that we were going to get them back. But, uh, <laughs> but we didn't, fortunately. Right, signs, beginning of birth pains. So for ladies who've given birth, there are clearly signs. You've been pregnant for nine months-ish. There are signs of an imminent birth. So... We don't know, but there are signs. Okay, I've got seven of them here. False prophets claiming to be the Messiah. In North Korea, Kim Jong-un is considered to be a deity. Um, there was quite a well-known MI5 agent called David Shaler, uh, who claimed to be the son of God early this, uh, this century. In Australia, there's a movement called the Divine Truth Movement, which is led by a man claiming to be the reincarnated Jesus. His wife is the reincarnated Mary Magdalene. He's been married twice, so I don't know what the first wife was, but the second wife is the reincarnated Mary Magdalene. For those who are sports followers, in uh, 1991, one of the BBC final score report reporters by the name David Icke claimed that he was the, a son of the Godhead on BBC, and he appeared on the Terry Wogan show, for those who are that, who are of that age, um, to talk about it. Okay, now these are, there are not many, but there are people around who are great orators who don't 
take much store in scripture, much more oratory than scripture. There are more other people who deny the truth of, the script, of scripture, okay? Or those who believe that there, Jesus is one God amongst many, that we're a pluralistic um, uh, world. So there are false prophets we, around. Wars and rumors of wars. A war is defined as a conflict with a thousand deaths in the last year. There are currently 20 such conflicts in the world. And I, you don't need to say much about the rhetoric between um, Donald Trump, Putin, and Kim Jong-un to say that uh, their rhetoric is at unprecedented levels. <clears throat> last Friday, there was a paper here, there was a piece about the Russians who are deploying a new defence-busting missile system. And uh, Vladimir Putin said, uh, he sent a warning to Russia's enemies, and I quote, any aggressor should know that retribution will be inevitable and he will be destroyed. And since we are the victims of his aggression, we will be going to heaven as martyrs. That's uh, Vladimir Putin, 12 da uh, 10 days ago, speaking. Wars and rumours of wars. There are 16,000, approximately 16,000 nuclear warheads in this, in this world. And in, apparently in 1961, the Russians detonated the most powerful bomb ever. And it was 3,300 times as powerful as Hiroshima. And that was 1961. Okay, so I don't need to say any more about that. Famines and earthquakes. There's a major famine in Yemen now. We live in a world that can feed itself. But there are famines. And um, we've had two tsunamis in Indonesia in recent years unprecedented flooding. And one of the features of news reporting are words like unprecedented and worst on record. The, and the, these are all from Matthew 24, okay? Persecution of Christians. Um, I've just put two websites there. <clears throat> Both these organizations work in 60 countries. And I just want to talk, just for a second, I looked up Open Doors. Open Doors was started by a guy named Brother Andrew, who will be known to people of an age, our, our sort of age, uh, who drove his Volkswagen into China, I think, Russia or China, taking, probably China, taking, taking Bibles in. Well, they've expanded since then. They have a piece on their website, and I encourage you to look it up, about a lady named Asia Bibi, who's a Christian in Pakistan, who's been on death row for 10 years. And uh, she was convicted of blasphemy um, in, in 2008, uh, when, she, when she asked a Muslim lady what her God had done for her, and she wanted to tell her what Jesus had done for her. That was deemed blasphemy. Um, <clears throat> the governor of her province supported her, um, and he was murdered for that. And when the murderer, his murderer was, in, was executed, 30,000 people came out to support him in Pakistan. And a major Muslim group, and her, court, her case is due to go to the Court of Appeal in Pakistan. Um, and they keep putting it off, primarily because Muslim groups in Pakistan say they will create havoc in the country if she is freed. Now, persecution of Christians. And we don't like it when people take the mickey about us. This is going on in our world. I encourage you to... Look up Barnabas Fund, not Barnabas Trust, because Barnabas Trust will take you to Carity Wood. 
many will turn away from the faith. Um, in 2016, uh, attendance at Anglican churches fell below a million. Okay. And we, we know that across Europe, places like Germany and France, evangelical Christ Christianity is very, very low in numbers. And increasingly, what were previously Christian countries are becoming, really becoming secular countries. There'll be an increase in wickedness. I don't even have to say anything about that, do I? Because we know that in, uh, in our country, in America, there is an increase in wickedness. I think those, those, those of us who've been around a couple of generations will know that. The gospel will be preached in the whole world. WEC is the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. They are a mission organization seeking to take the gospel uh, into the whole world. So look them up as to see, to see what they are doing. So seven signs there. I'll come back. So I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions on that. I'm not going to make any suggestion, but draw your own conclusions. And there would seem to me to be a little bit of a conflict between the thing about preaching to the whole world and the whole world hearing the gospel and a thief in the night. A thief in the night is sudden un unknown. Um, and preaching, depending on how you define people groups, uh, either, either the world has been preached to or it hasn't. Depends how you, on definitions of countries, etc. But to me, I, don't, I can't see it being a case of... Uh, you know, when we were burgled, you're going to be, it's going to be a thief in the night, but it's not going to be for the next X months. You know, just be warned, it's going to be after that. I think the thief in the night trumps um, preaching the gospel in the whole world. Okay, so draw your own conclusions from that. Should we be fearful? Back to Matthew 24 and 25. This is um, one, there are three parables in Matthew 25. This is the third one. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, as an experienced shepherd, being part of the little consortium that owns some sheep, I know the difference between a sheep and a goat. I don't know the difference between one sheep and another. So all our sheep have tags on them or markings on them to know whose is which. But... A shepherd clearly knows the difference between sheep and goats. What does that mean? Jesus knows those who are Christians and those who are not. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. <clears throat> then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. There is no reason whatsoever for Christians to, to fear the return of Jesus. But, let's be truthful here, there is reason for non-Christians to fear. People who are not followers of Jesus. Same passage. Then he will say, this is Jesus will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. And at the end there, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. One of the current kind of trends is for people who say hell, for Christian leaders to say hell doesn't exist. 
Well, Scripture is quite clear that there is a heaven and a hell, and we need to be honest about it. Christians, you do, if you're a Christian this morning, you have no reason to fear Jesus' return. When I was a teenager, um, there were some films like uh, Left Behind, and the, the, they were all about where, are you, where will you be found when Jesus returns? You know, will you be somewhere you shouldn't be, with someone you shouldn't be with, doing something you shouldn't be doing? Don't do that. But actually, the whole, that, that was the wrong kind of thought, thought process. Actually, the real question is, what are, you, what are you doing between now and then? Not, where are you on that day? You might be asleep. But what, what, what are you going to do between now and then? So there are, what are the implications for me? There are two big questions. Firstly, do you know you're going to heaven? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Right, God so loved the world. Is there anyone who doesn't qualify? The answer is no. Everybody qualifies under the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this morning, if you are not a Christian, and this freaks you out, you can deal with that. Um, <clears throat> Malcolm last week talked uh, about having assurance that we're going to heaven. And you can have that this morning. And I just want to say that if you are not a Christian and this, this scares you, then you can deal with that. And, if, and please come and speak to Adam or myself afterwards and we can introduce you to Jesus and you can deal with that point. And you can have assurance that you're, you are heaven bound. But the second question is, if I'm a Christian, and the vast bulk of us here this morning are Christians, how will I live my life until he, I die or he returns? I said in Matthew 25, there are three parables. We've looked at the third one. The first two are about delay. The second one uh, is about a master who leaves his servants with bags of gold. gold he goes away. It delays coming back and how he deals with them when he comes, returns. The first one... Is headed the parable of the, of the ten virgins. This is about a wedding. And it's a bit odd, but um, weddings in those days, uh, they would have a ceremony, and then either the bride and the groom would go off privately somewhere for a while, or in fact the bridegroom would go back to his house. And at a random point of his choosing, he would then go to his bride, and they would have the wedding breakfast. Now, how the guests fitted into that, I don't know. But in this story, in this account, parable, uh, Jesus is the bridegroom. Christians are the ten virgins. There is, the, there is no bride, because there's no bride of Christ here. Uh, the, this is about Jesus and the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. You see, the disciples in Acts 1, they believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. They, thought it, they probably thought it was months, and they probably thought it was military, he would return militarily to oust Rome. They lived with it day by day. We're now 2,000 years on, and actually, it's been a very long delay in our terms, isn't it? 
And people have got kind of accustomed to the delay and, frankly, fallen asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know. Therefore, keep watch, and that's the point of this. Keep watch because you do not know the, uh, the day or the hour. This is not about all, all these virgins are Christians. They all go to heaven, but five of them were prepared and five were not. And when it comes to it, it will be too late to scrabble around and try and do some good works, give something into the offering. You know, it'll be, it'll, it'll be too late to put things right. So the challenge is, how do I live my life between now and then? What do we do? We do the things we're called to do now, to serve, be faithful, to meet together, to love one another, to look after the poor, to take risks. Ian was talking about taking risks a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? To care for those who can't care for themselves, to love my neighbour, to be honest, to teach our kids the ways of God, to spread the gospel globally. That's what we're called to do. The past is the past. We can be forgiven of the past. But the challenge is what I do from today until the day I die or the day Jesus returns. And there are two sets of what you said, watch, doesn't it? Therefore, keep watch. There are two ways to watch. One is to gaze up, stand on a hill and stand there staring and just stay there. That's not what this is about. This is about being alert. Keep watch. Watch what you do. Be aware of what you're doing. Be, be careful about what you're doing. Choose what you are doing. doing. Because there will be reward, and heavenly reward will be something to behold when it happens. I'm going to finish with a thought and a picture. And the thought is, when Adam asked me to do this, um, firstly I said, I'd rather not. Uh, can I do one in the summer, please? And he said, no. Um, and the sec my second thought was, uh, I haven't thought about Jesus' return in a very long time. Um, when Adam asked me to do this. I, thought, I thought, sort of thought it's fraudulent for me to speak about this because I just haven't thought about it. I'm so caught up in what, the, what happens in life, the ebb and flow of life. I've thought a lot about it um, since Adam asked, asked me and read about it. So if you feel guilty this morning, right now, or convicted that you haven't thought about this forever and a day, you're in good company, okay? But you can change right now and change your mindset right now. I sent an email, a, a, a text around our home group admitting to being a bit of a peasant when it comes to cultural things uh, a couple of weeks ago. And when this is a statue of Eros, it's in Piccadilly, uh, I assumed it was some pagan thing, knew nothing about it whatsoever. Um, actually, this is, this is the Shaftesbury Memorial Fountain in memory of Lord Shaftesbury, who did more than anybody in the 19th century to relieve suffering. And he was a man who lived in expectation of Jesus' return. And every letter he wrote, he is known to, this, this been, to have been the case, every letter he wrote 
had the heading, even so, come Lord Jesus. He was a man who was looking for the return of Jesus. But while he was here, he did an incredible amount for the cause of the gospel and for alleviation of poverty in our world. I think we could learn from that. We could do, we could do a lot worse than to follow his example. This has been a little bit heavy. Um, I, I haven't talked about Crystal Palace at all. I normally do when I speak. Um, but I am stirred by it, and I am, I am challenged by it. And I hope you're not fearful, um, but that you, this eagerness, you, write, you could feel in your spirit arise to the fact, actually, Jesus is going to return, and things on this earth are going to be wrapped up under his control, in his timing, and in his manner. And I'm almost spot on time, so I'm going to speak up.